What is it that you can rely most on within yourself that guides you towards high outcomes for everyone involved? Abundance through transformation. To live the life you love. My name is Sandra Maria, The Leadership Talks. Today's episode is with John Backelmans, a leader who is always questioning the status quo, who always wants to take it to the next level. So I thank you that you're here with me today on this beautiful day. Yeah. The intention for this call and conversation and space is showing people who are interested and who are searching for how does leadership look like? How does it feel like? What's part of it? What's the obstacles? Getting different perspectives, understanding this is how I could do it and approaching this topic from this side. Mm -hmm. What is a leader for you and how do you take this role when you enter a room? Yeah, there is one thing I know that is probably very important and that you should not be taken by surprise with. And that is, it's not because you are called the director of or the vice president of or the CEO of or the leader of that you are the leader. You're being put in a position because of... past accomplishments or the fact that seniority, you have been there the longest, so they put you in that position. Now you have that position and now you assume that everybody will follow you blindly and everybody will, because you have that name and role and rank, that all paths are open to doing whatever you want to do. And that's completely wrong. I think the fact that you have a particular position just gives you The first instance of the trust that you have to still earn of proving that you're worthy of that position. What I'm trying to tell you is that whenever you have a particular status, you're at the beginning of showing that you really deserve that status. And you have to still make sure that the trust factor, as I called it in the beginning, gets built up by the people who you surround every single day, who you lead every single day. Trust you build up by time. Trust you build up by facts. Trust you build up by making mistakes and correcting them and saying in the open that you make the mistake, but that you've seen the mistake and that you've corrected it in a way that uh, you believe that this path a little bit more to the right is the better path versus the path we took first. And it's just a start. And I think after a while, people will forget that you are the VP or the director or the CEO, and they'll take you as the person who they can trust even blindly by going into a particular path with the company or with the project you are leading at that point in time. That for me, I think, is the most important learning It's not because you have the role. It's not because you have the title that you're entitled to to do whatever in that role. You still have to prove yourself. You still have to show others that you deserve it and that they made the right call to put you into that position. I think that's one of the learnings I learned over all those years. And be surrounded by people who want you to succeed, right? Exactly. And who are willing to give you feedback because I think... That's very important and that people will not give you natural feedback. You have to ask it from them. And hopefully after a while, you work with people who will give you that 
voluntary feedback, I would say, and not the forced feedback you're asking them to give you. That's the situations I love to be in, is that you work with people who know that you want to make yourself better, that know that you're always there to improve and to learn from the mistakes you make and who are giving you that voluntary feedback. Of course, that doesn't happen fast. That happens when people trust you. That happens when people know that they can even give you some bad feedback and that you will not use that against them because they are working for you. So that's the situation you want to get to. That's when you know, at that point, you know that people have accepted you entirely, that people only want you to become a better person for themselves. And I think the people who are giving you feedback are also learning to become people who can be better trusted. And I think being able to become in that situation is one of the dreams come true. And you don't get that very easily. You don't get that very fast. And it takes time for you to build that kind of relationships with the people you are actually working typically in a business environment every single day with. If for any reason a person is not in the right place, is too early, what would you like recommend to really live those natural leadership skills? Of course, one of the leadership skills I think are important is to never give up. Because you're going sometimes out of your way to do things differently than other people do, because those things haven't worked for them, and you are the one who says, hey, let's do this differently because I think I have a plan. Even then, when it doesn't go right, you're never giving up. And the fact that you're never giving up and the fact that you want to give it another try and want to give it another chance, again, that for me is one of those skills you don't see all along. And that is, for me, an important part of learning to become a better leader that even if it doesn't go the way you planned, because you have plan B, C and D, that you're giving B, C and D plans a chance. And the fact that people see that even if you have caught, you know, a bad idea, or even if you made a mistake, that you're still not giving up and that you're not giving in to those mistakes and that you keep on going until you get it right. And that for me is also a, a very important of somebody who wants to become a better leader is to really never give up. It's, it's in my rule book number one. It's, and I learned, it the, I learned it the hard way. I'll tell you, when I was in, in high school, I think it was, I was 12 or 13 years old, we had some kind of class and I oversaw in the notes of the teacher at one stage, he wrote down behind my name that I was giving up too early. And I saw that and I thought to myself, but that is not me. That is not who I want to be. And I think it gave me a wake up call. That teacher was looking at me as somebody who was giving up too early. Sometimes I have to remind me of that fact that I never want to have that again written behind my name. And, and, you know, it's one of those skills which are good and bad in a way, because <laughs> never giving up also means you might never be happy with the result. And of course, there is that fact that if you're happy with the goal you reach, then be happy with it. And don't try to reach uh, the stretch goal and the super stretch goal as you might set it out. Because people will also look at you as somebody who is never happy with the result about yourself, but also about what they have, have done for you or the team you have been working in together with them. So it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope and you need to be careful. 
But for me, never giving up is such an important characteristic of, of leadership because you might not get it right the first time and you have to adjust. And the fact that you have changing ways to do things and that you're learning along the way, I think is so important. And so, yeah, for me, it's a very important characteristic of trying to gauge if somebody has true leadership skills or if somebody can be become a good leader along the way. Yeah. So, so it is interesting how a simple thing that strikes you and how you don't want to be put into that corner. Uh, nobody puts baby in the corner. Uh, how do you want to be put into that corner if somebody puts you in that corner? But I think it's like you feel it inside when something like that happens. And it shows that people have natural tendency to fight things. And that's, again, one of those characteristics, I believe, where people can actually only become stronger with. Mm. So continuous improvements are so important in somebody's leadership journey, because guess what? The world is evolving. People are changing. Cultures are changing. Behaviors are changing. The people you work with are different every single day. And so you need to adjust to that. Experience tells you how to gauge a certain situation. How do you do that? I think by listening more than speaking. That's what I do. I try to listen first. Typically in new situations, I probably am a little bit more of the quieter person than the louder person because I want to understand, assess, engage how certain groups, cultures, new situations actually are comfortable in expressing themselves and in the way they're going about themselves. Because every situation is indeed different and every group handles that differently. But I think the time you spent in assessing and understanding how certain groups work best and how do you get the best out of that group spirit is by gauging and understanding and then trying. And if you don't get it the first time, you'll get it probably the second time, right? Of course, don't go, don't go the hard route. Take something in between where you can adjust pretty easily the way you're going about changing. And every situation is different and you have to adjust your style continuously. You can't be the commander-in-chief all the time. Sometimes you have to be the collaborator. Sometimes you have to be a little bit more directive because the situation is changing and that group needs that kind of leadership style to be effective. The name of the game is adaptability. Uh, the name of the game is assessing the situation. And for me, understanding and learning, listening uh, before actually doing has worked out the best. Hmm. Beautiful. What was your dream when you were nine? Oh, <laughs> as I said, I wanted to be a fireman and um, the dream, you know, and I was a fireman. I did that as a voluntary person. In Belgium, you have professional firemen. I think you have 16,000 firemen in total. 3,000 firemen are professional. 13,000 are voluntary. Now, a fire doesn't extinguish between voluntary people and, <laughs> and people who are doing the job. It's as warm to anybody, so you better know what you're doing when you go into a burning house to extinguish a fire or to get people out of that house. It doesn't matter if you are a voluntary or you are a person doing it for his profession. So having become a fireman, even as a voluntary, of course, I wanted to use my leadership skills in the fire office as well. I'm very lucky and happy that I did it because 
the leadership skills you use in the fire brigade are completely different leadership skills you're using in a business environment. (laughs) I always say that if the people in my office or in the business environment would be as disciplined, and and I I know I'm using the word disciplined, but would be as disciplined as the people in the fire brigade, the company would do 10 times better. And the reason I'm saying this is because a fireman or people working in a fire brigade, even if they're all volunteers, they're so focused on a very simple thing. When we come back from a fire, the first thing they do when they come back is to prepare the trucks to go out for the next event. And you don't have to tell anybody that we have to replace the hoses. We have to get this or that replaced. So there is probably not more than five minutes work in every truck to prepare that truck to go out for the next call. But people do it naturally. People do it without hesitation. And that's what I mean with discipline. And again, if you have to make people aware of it and you have to call them and tell, make, make sure you prepare the car, the truck. No, if people start doing it automatically because they take their sense of responsibility, you know, that's what I mean with discipline. If we would only have that in business, we, we would probably have much better pipelines and much better understanding of, of where the business is going to end and, and the financial situation would be a lot more in, in place. But again, of course, two different environments. In the fire brigades I've worked at and in, I've worked a lot with volunteers and volunteers are driven by the fact that they wanted to become a fireman and they do whatever they can to be an as good fireman as possible And they're driven by a desire to help people. And that's also why I became a fireman, is to give something back to the community. Because I was lucky enough to be able to have studied and to make something out of my professional life. I also wanted to give something back. And I didn't want to do it by donating 100 or 1,000 euros every year. So I wanted to do it where I can make myself an impact. And that's why I went into the fire brigade and gave something back. That's what I did. So... um, Yeah, I wanted to become a fireman. I became a fireman. I haven't been regretting it any single day, apart from the lots of hours of sleep I missed when being out and about in the middle of the night. But that's that's another fact. So another fact. Mm. Yes, yes. There's something about respect that comes up the second time. It's the respect and preparation. The fire doesn't distinguish between voluntary or professional. Correct. And there is this focus. I would love to understand the essence that we can take away from emergency situations Mm -hmm. that we can apply when there is non-emergency. So I think I get it. Um, I think the the difference from emergencies versus normal situations is that you don't have time. Time is not on your side. And if time is not on your side, you go back to almost like automatic responses and responses where you have basically built upon experience, build upon, like you said, the hours you've invested in to perfect it. You build upon those kind of skills to actually excel and still be able to do what is right. It's amazing that typically the people who The firefighters who are the ones who get the first to the truck whenever you have to go out for a fire, those are the people who typically are the most committed or who lives the closest to the fire brigade. 
but they also the guys who are there to extinguish the fire. And I hope you understand what I mean. They want to get that fire out as soon as possible. But sometimes when you get to a situation, so imagine yourself middle of the night, you come from your home a minute or two later after you left your bed, you're in a fire truck and you're going to that fire. You imagine yourself what the situation would be like. You think how you're going to control it by imagining what it's going to be like and the descriptions you get on the radio. Then you arrive there and the situation is completely different. What people look at, at the first five or ten seconds when you arrive there, all of the firemen are looking at you as the leader as to what you want them to do. You need to take in in five, ten, perhaps 15 seconds, you need to derive a strategy. And the amazing part of the fire brigade is that if you derive a strategy and you say, we're going to do it this way, and doing it this way, a particular strategy, means that everybody knows their role inside out, that automatism, the fact that nobody has to ask you, yeah, but how do I lay the hose? Do I lay it this way or that way? No, everybody knows that. Everybody knows it because they've been trained, because they know, they understand. We've done done this a thousand times. So if you say strategy one, two, three, four, they know exactly what one, two, three, four means. And there is no questions asked. Nobody's even doubting whether you got the strategy right, even after assessing 15 seconds. And you know why? Because they know that even if you got it wrong, that you will adjust it along the way to make it better because you've been there a couple of times. So if you now apply this to non-emergency situations, you have a lot more time. And if you have a lot more time, for me, it's always a trap because if you have a lot more time, you have a lot more paths take forever to make up your mind. So what typically happens to me is that I typically make up my mind very rapidly, even in business situations. And that's, I think, the perfect mix between having the experience from the fire brigade actually deciding about life and death versus a simple business situation where you have to decide a particular route where we're going or an investment we're doing or a customer we're going after or not or a deal we're not chasing anymore. It's a very simple process for me because I've been through all these emergency situations where I had seconds to decide and not minutes or hours to decide in these business situations. So the mix has helped me tremendously in my business life to hopefully becoming a better business leader versus a person who has not had the experience from going all through these emergencies where life actually matters. So to wrap this in a simple way forward is you should force yourself to be in situations where you're forcing yourself to decide in a timely fashion. And of course, not everybody can become a firefighter, but put yourself in situations where, where you are forced to decide and where you build the experience of forcing yourself to decide fast, because it will only allow you to decide more swiftly in situations where you have a lot more time. Because what I see too much is that people who have a lot more time never decide. And never deciding is a lot worse than deciding something. And deciding something, if you know yourself and if you have a good team, you can always change direction along the way. As long as you allow yourself to fail or as long as you allow yourself to, to ask the right questions while you're taking the path you're taking and not be too shy, to actually ask questions where you're admitting yourself that you probably took a little bit the wrong path and that you're adjusting the path along the way. That would be my 
my guidance upon learning from emergency situations yeah. and applying them to normal life situations. And I had the luck to really be in emergency situations and I apply them every single day. So you have to force yourself a little bit more into that because otherwise you never know and you always have the luxury of time. And sometimes when you don't have that time anymore, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, because then the risk profile has changed. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my feeling currently is, would you like to do a little break with us? Yes. And then yes. come back? How do you feel? I'm good. I'm good. We can do yes. a little break. That would, yes. that would help me as well. Absolutely. Yes. Super. What drives you? Innovation. To do things I've never done before and to get people to become more efficient, to improve their lives by things they've never experienced before. That's what I want to do. Innovate. And what do you need to do that currently? Lots of patience. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> lots, of, lots of failures. I make a mistake, I learn something new to come closer at the thing I want to get to. What I'm intrigued about a lot is those pioneers, the people who really went out of their way to establish a new normal. It's only when you really do it that you know you can and that you will prove people that something is really possible. And that is what ticks my agenda too. That is what ticks my drive to move on and to get to the next thing I was thinking about. The, the one thing I've learned over the years is not to be disappointed when something doesn't go right the first time. I fail and I start again, but I use the knowledge of the failure to get closer to my target. Starting again and again and again and not being bogged down by a bad result is probably I do the most every single day. Once you get to where you want to be and now you're able to prove that in real life is something magnificent which you only get by working hard and being patient and keep going even if you fail every single time again and again and, and for now, your surrounding what would you wish for when you're always exploring the not yet there that they are open to embrace these new things i create And that is not always easy. People are typically, they are afraid of the things, the unknown and afraid of the unknown makes some of these innovations take a lot longer to get into normal life and into people's regular habits than if people would embrace them much faster. I work with generation zero and one, means people who are doing first in their line something different, inheriting a business from their family and creating something new. And mostly it's innovation or breaking patterns. And the question is, how can we take away the fear from the surrounding you just talked about? And how can we empower people How would you like to be empowered when you do something totally new? 
change is always and has proven throughout the years has been for many people difficult to grasp. The biggest advances don't come with new technology. They come when people embrace change. And change means if I'm the son taking over the company from my father and I want to do something different because there is a new era of technology and I want to use technology in my business, which my father never used in my business, then the biggest threat to me making that change is people not embracing that change enough. So you need to create a culture of change first. For me, and that's been my saying for years, the only constant is change. Meaning that if I stop changing, I will stand still. And what I try to do in every person I deal with, if I have a new invention and I come with that new invention to investors who I I need money from to create the prototype, then I need to make sure that they embrace that change. And so I need to make sure that I create a culture of change. What I would propose these people to do is that if they come from a family where change was never there and where it was not a part of their culture, I would first create a culture of change, that change is good, that change is something we need to do because otherwise we're going to be left behind. And I would create, I would show examples of people who have changed so that people start to embrace it. And then bit by bit, I would start for people to understand that change is a good thing versus a bad thing. And so once you do that, once you create a culture of change being a good thing, change creating opportunities, and the faster you can do something, the faster you can get to Uh, happy customers who will buy your products, that change will leave you probably to actually being able to reach more customers. And that's a good thing. And so embracing change means that you have to have a culture of change. And a culture of change you can only understand if you understand that change, the only constant is change. And the fact that if you don't change, you stand still and you will get probably left behind because others will change faster than you will ever be able to. And that's where I believe I need to continuously keep on changing whatever I make or create or invent. Hmm. And there are moments when you don't have time. Yes. What do you do when you don't have time to create a culture? Uh, That's a good question. What I then do is I lead by example. So if you don't have time to make people aware of the changing environment and you don't have time to get people briefed as to everything you do, I typically lead by example. And I take the matters into my own hands. I take myself the risk. I show people how, and hopefully I inspire them to do the same. The next opportunity there is to do something like that. I've done that in my fire brigade career. Whenever there was a fire and there were children inside, or there was a a hazard that the house would collapse, I always go in myself. And I don't take the risk of putting one of my men into a house which could collapse, and where I have to go and explain to their wives and their children that I was the guy who made them go into the house, and the house now collapsed. I rather go in myself. And I'll I'll take the leadership to show myself and to blame myself if it went wrong. So that's what I do, because sometimes you don't have the time indeed yeah. to, to do that. So, yeah. 
you always have a way to go into another um, route. And so... Can we just repeat that for everyone? You always have? You always have another route to take to ensure that there is a different way of doing things. You have preconceived notions. You have made a plan. But during the execution of the plan, you might discover that there are certain characteristics, components, parameters you haven't taken into account. Feel free then to change the plan. Even if you've been thinking about it so long and so hard, but now that you've seen all the parameters, you've made yourself aware that you haven't taken every component into the plan, so you need to change the plan. And it takes guts and courage to change the plan. I just want to feel into being free to adjust Mm -hmm. and being in a system or group where you are about to break patterns. How do you balance that? Yeah, delicately, I think. Exactly, Uh, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very delicately, because if you go in there like a bull into a porcelain shop, you will break a lot of vases and it will become very expensive. So you have to delicately try to show the way in ways where you indeed break the pattern in the group and show that by adjusting um, bit by bit, you can go through a change and you can probably go the better route versus the route they're all walking into. But it's a difficult one. And typically, if you are the lone ranger there, it's tough. So you typically find friends who are people who understand and see the similar opportunity as you do and try to create bonds and friendships so that more than one person stand up and say, hey guys, I think we have to go this route versus that route. And this guy says it too, and and he says it for another reason I'm telling you, and perhaps there is some reality in here. If it's a too dramatic change, you want to take little baby steps and little baby steps are okay because you can prove with little baby steps that you're on the right path. And as long as you give them clear results, which you will achieve once you take a little baby step and then you take another baby step and and then suddenly, as I said in the beginning, the trust will be there and you can take bigger steps. So it's a delicate environment and the baby step approach, of course, yeah, you need to be a little bit more patient. You need to allow a little bit more time. But once you allow the time to build up that trust, you will benefit from it so much more afterwards. You said before, force yourself to make decisions fast. Yeah. I feel that you have the freedom or have created the freedom for yourself to make decisions. And if it goes wrong, it's still okay. The fact is that you create a culture where if you made a decision and the decision was not exactly the right decision, that you created a culture for people to accept that you're changing that decision Yes. Okay. It's for the that. better. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. it's exactly that. That's it. So it's not about the decision. It's about the knowing that you will adjust. Exactly. And, the, and creating a culture that people will accept that and the people do not think that you're a weak person or you made the wrong decision. Mm. No. As I said, the only constant is change, and the only constant is change, meaning that if we make a wrong decision, we adjust and we speak out that 
we're going to change it because, hey, this and this and this parameter have changed. We haven't seen that. So let's now make sure that we adjust to the new reality. And some people have a difficulty with, of course, that entire changing culture or that changing of decisions. And so the thing I invest quite a lot in is creating that culture, that making a change, that changing a decision is okay because nothing in life is eternally the same. And it's fine to change and it's fine to say one time this and the next time something else because of of evolving characteristics of the situation. It's perfectly fine, but it's a mindset people need to have and need to be willing to accept instead of being very rigid. And once we've set a direction, we'll never change it again for the next five years. That is a culture I could not live and survive in. And I wish... Many of our leaders would use the same kind of characteristic. Look at politicians, right? Political leaders, when they made a decision and they want to show strength, they never change it, even if they know that it was the wrong decision. My God, call out your mistake. Show that you have learned from the wrong decision and adjust it. You will be a lot more respected than the person who is not living up to his decision and who knows who was the wrong decision, but he doesn't want to give in because it was my decision and I don't want to be looked at as a weak person. That's something I'm very cautious of in my own environment, in my team, and it's the culture I want to create for people to be comfortable in a situation of change. Hmm. Tell me. What is it that you can rely most on within yourself that guides you towards high outcomes for everyone involved? You know, it's a blessing, but it's also sometimes, it's not a blessing at all. But the fact I will never give up until I reach the goal is probably the answer to that question. Even if you don't get there the first time, if you don't get there the second time, but it takes you 10 or 20 or 100 times to get it, I will never let it go. Probably you can, you can bring it back to that experience I had 12, 13 year old. People who believe in what they do, who can prove it with results, are the people who typically inspire you and who never give up to achieve what they want to achieve. People who do not give up upon the goal and who are never happy to not have achieved that goal, I have a lot of respect and admiration for and they inspire me a lot. And that's who I aspire to be. That is where I hope to find a following or to find people who are willing to go my route because they know that if I want to achieve a goal, I never give up until I get there, even if it takes me 10 to 100 times. Yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. It was an enriching environment to be, uh, to be exposing myself into. It's always good to think about what you you think you do well and how you got there in the end and how you hopefully do this to achieve something not only for yourself but certainly for the people you work with and who you want to uh, bring to a higher cause and to another level because that's why you do it you want to bring people to another level and you want to get them to become better in whatever they do whether it's your children who want to become a pilot whether it's your brother who wants to learn how to be a better tennis player whether it's the firefighter who wants to better be able to understand and how to read a fire instead of just trying to extinguish it, trying to read it first before you extinguish it. Or is the business guy who wants to understand how to do a better sale with a particular person. 
That's what I hope to aspire to be. As you can imagine, you learn it by falling down and by standing up. You learn it by making a mistake and by allowing others to also make mistakes. But first and foremost, by yourself making a mistake, by showing it to the others, by admitting your mistake, and then by changing the path and allowing yourself to create another path of success. And that culture of change, I think, is so important. I've learned that the most throughout my career. I try to do that every single day in different environments. Yeah, it makes life very worthwhile and very interesting. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Love it. Till the next time. Thank you so much, Thank Sandra. You. It was appreciative. I will always look out for a call from you. And uh, we'll talk again very soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. My name is Sandra Maria, the Leadership Talks.